Wow, choir. You brought tears to my eyes. Some songs you say, you know, that's surely one they're going to sing in heaven. And you know what? I got biblical proof of that. That's from like Revelation 5, I believe. And those are what we're going to be singing about. Is he worthy? Yes. Thank you for that. Thank you for that. What a blessing that is. Okay, we're going into Ephesians chapter 1. We only have a few more weeks of this, and I don't want to prevent you from the opportunity of sharing it all with us. If anyone here today has our passage memorized, Ephesians 1, 3 through 14, I would love, we would all love for you to say it. Anybody? Out there? No? Nobody? Okay, you know what that means. Everybody gets to say it. So here we go. Ephesians 1, 3 through 14. It's going to be right up here. Let's read it off together. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us and the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. In all wisdom and insight, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his kind intention, which he purposed in him, with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times, that is, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things on the earth, in him also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will, to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. Nicely read. About a week or so ago, I tried to quote it uh, to Pamela, and I, and I kept putting to the praise of his glory after every verse. And, no, oh, it's not yet. It's coming up. I, I say it again. It was after every phrase almost. And, and yet, that's really what it's all about, isn't it? So we are, all these things we've been studying and all that he's doing in us, our identity in Christ is to the praise of his glory. And we want to always set that before us as the purpose of our, our study here today. Uh, there is more and more and more cause to praise him. As you study scripture, you learn more about what he's done for you. Uh, and that's why by the time we get here to verse 13 and 14, we have 
accumulated an awful lot of reasons to praise him. And uh, we're going to have some more today. The, basically, we have a God who keeps his promises. And that's a rich thing for us to understand. So, let's have a word of prayer, and then we're going to dive into verse 13 and 14 today. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. What a, what a joy it is to have a copy of it right here in our hands. To be able to read from it at any point, any time during our day. And yet as a fellowship, to read to it together. To study it together. To learn together. To walk together as brothers and sisters in Christ. To grow together. To be like our Savior. <coughs> what a privilege it is that we have today to stop for a little while and focus on one little aspect of your word, and yet every single aspect is so important, and today it will be the case too. So challenge us with your word today, and do your work in our hearts to convince us that you are a God who keeps his word. And I thank you, Lord, for that. In Jesus' name, amen. The last two verses we just read, in him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. A lot of that verse we've already worked through, <coughs> the first half of that verse, but today especially we're going to look at the phrase, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. This is going directly at the main point of the statement. We have looked at the other things, the pledges, and, and those. We still have the rest of verse 14 to cover. But today we're going to look at the main statement. You were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. Now, as we've been working through this text, we have uh, seen the work of the Father and the work of the Son. And the, now we're looking at the work of the Holy Spirit. It's not often in Scripture that you actually find a passage where all three of them are identified together in a task. You may think, well, it should be everywhere. Well, yes, but it's not as far as the wording is concerned. Um, we have all three of them mentioned in this passage, all three of them active in this passage. Um, when we talk about all three of them together, we have a word for that, don't we? We call that the Trinity. You may say, well, I've never seen that word in Scripture. You won't. It's our way of trying to understand something that's really, folks, far too big for us. It's too big for our minds to ask, actually grasp what this is. Three distinct persons, and yet all of them one God. That is kind of complicated. Even in theological circles, we try to find better words to try to describe this. How can they operate individually and independently and yet have complete dependence on each other, have complete cooperation with each other, having complete unity between them, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and yet still be distinct in their work? It's a puzzle, really. But it is explained to us in Scripture, as we have noted. And I could simply prove that to you. We know Jesus is God, right? 
He is God. He's the second person of the Trinity. We call him the Son. And yet, he did something that the Father didn't do and the Holy Spirit didn't do. Jesus took on flesh. And he came and lived among us. And he died upon a cross. And he was buried. And he rose again. And he's with the Father now. He's ascended to be with the Father. Now, that's unique because he is the only one in the whole Trinity who did that work. And yet, the Father and the Holy Spirit were part of it too, weren't they? Isn't that interesting to try to explain? It's, it's a, woo! All three of them didn't take on flesh. Only Jesus did. Now, I try to simplify things like that because uh, even my mind spins when I try to put some of these down. Someday we will see it, and when we're standing there in our glorified bodies and our minds are what they ought to be, we're going to say, oh, okay. Until then, we're going to say, huh? We don't get it all. Well, here's what's really cool about this passage. As we're walking through this, we're seeing the work of the entire Trinity in our life. The Father is active in your Christian life, right? The Son is active in your Christian life. The Holy Spirit is active in your Christian life. They all have had, in this passage, their unique ministries to you. Such as the Father selects, and the Father chose us, and adopted us, and predestined us, and made us holy, and made us blameless. In Christ, his Son, we are saved. In Christ, who is called the Beloved, we've been redeemed through his blood. We have been forgiven of our trespasses. We have been made known the mystery of his will and given an inheritance. And now in verse 13 and 14, we see the work of the Holy Spirit who has sealed us into this wonderful identity we have in Christ. We can spend the rest of the year just talking about the ministries of the Holy Spirit in our life. It is that big. This passage gives it only two verses. It really sums it down to one simple thought in the fact that he has sealed us. Sealed us. And so we're going to find in this passage something I think would be encouraging, stabilizing, if you like that particular word, uh, which is necessary in a world like ours, where it seems like most of the things around us is dissolving, being taken from us. Uh, we have a God who is good to his word. The promises he has made, he will keep. And that's very important for us. And why is that so important? Because here we have been working for 20 weeks almost on this passage in Ephesians chapter 1, and you have heard it, because I've shared it with you over and over. These things you have in Christ. You're not earning them. You're not working toward them. You're not going to someday accumulate them. You have them. You have them in Christ Jesus. All of this is spoken, as we would say, in the past tense. You have been blessed. You have been chosen. You have been forgiven. You have been redeemed. Aren't those great thoughts? I love them. So that's what we've been looking at. And yet, how much of that is really tangible? You have any of that in your pocket right now? Pull it out and show us. Visible? Well, it's kind of hard to see with these eyes that we have. And yet, 
God has so intricately fashioned your identity in Christ that you are, whether you possess it like a tangible thing or visually see it yourself, you are truly blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies in Christ Jesus. What are those things? Well, we're getting a piece of it here. But I will tell you this, they are yours as sure as he is God. That's the point. As sure as he is God. And you don't need a Monday to mess this up. It still works on Thursdays, folks. That's the beauty of all this. If you look at your day and say, boy, it's been hard, it's been sad, I feel defeated, I struggle. Boy, you have a tough day, don't you? Sometimes we feel even that all of this that we study, there's a huge disconnect between the words on these pages and the life that we must live. We say, how does this work in the 21st century? How does it work as a believer living in a world like ours? Have you ever wondered that? Have you ever struggled with that? Well, here's what's the beauty of this. God has not only told you of his work, but he has also instilled within you the author of his word. Do you know who the Holy Spirit is? He is the one that worked through the writers that produced this book that we're reading right now. And where does he live? In you, believer. I love thinking that. I love going through that because what a difference it makes as we fumble around and try to figure all this out to know that the one who's promised moved in. He's right here. And he's right there. Maybe you've seen a commercial. Uh, it was from a group called Pass It On. It was about encouragement. And it has a, picture, a scene where there's a mother and there's a father and a little boy. And they go to a piano con concert. And they're entering into the great auditorium there. And moments before it begins, the mother looks to the father and says, where's the little boy? He's missing. He was missing. He had somehow made his way to the back of the stage and gotten up and sat at the grand piano in the middle of the stage, and the curtain opened. And there they see their little boy sitting at the piano. And you know the look on their face. Have you ever had that look, parents? Yes. There it is. They're looking, and suddenly their little boy starts to play Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star with two fingers on the piano. And as he's playing, they see the pianist expert, the concert pianist, come out onto the stage. And everyone thinks, oh boy, is he in trouble. And the pianist comes up behind him and he whispers in his ear, don't stop. And he starts to embellish that song. And when he's all done, the entire audience bursts into applause. Because what that man did was change a simple little song with two little fingers into a masterpiece. And I sometimes wonder if that's what our Christian life looks like. Because here we struggle through it. And at best, sometimes we're working our way through the Christian life like we've got to only two fingers. And we're trying to peck out a little tune. And yet all the while, who lives within you? God himself. <laughs> 
the one who has made these promises, the one who has accomplished all this work on our behalf, and he says, keep going, I've got this, we're going to see it through. When it's all said and done, folks, it's going to be a masterpiece. I don't doubt that at all. That's why I want you to understand, when we talk about your identity in Christ, you have to understand, you have someone living inside of you right now that that is the reality. That's what we're looking at in this passage. I, I think it's great. It all started the day you were saved. As we saw last week, in these verses, verse 13, in him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed. To be saved means you're sealed. Those go together. They're not separated. It's not one is trying to slowly work its way up and become the case. It's the reality. You were saved. You were sealed. You were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. That's part of your identity in Christ. Do you hear that? That's part of your identity in Christ. It's not the biggest part, I would say, because all these parts are equal. They all belong to the same God who's doing all the same work. And he's not saying this one's more important than that one is. But Jesus told his disciples, he told them, it is to your advantage that I go away. And all the disciples said, wait a minute, <laughs> nothing would be an advantage if you're not with us. And Jesus went on to say, I will tell you the truth. This is John 16. I will tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. I will send him to you. He's called the helper. In that passage. The parakletos is the Greek word here. The advocate. He speaks on your behalf, but he also comes alongside you. Your para, that's alongside, and kletos is the one who's called, putting it together. He's called alongside you. He's called, uh, in this sense, and the fact is simple, he will not leave you. He is called to be alongside of you when you were saved. He is with you now, and he will be with you until you step into glory. The Holy Spirit is with you now. I want to read to you a psalm. Turn over to Psalm 37 for a minute. I just want you to see this. This is a beautiful, beautiful psalm, and it all has to do with who's who's getting you through this life? Who's going to make sure that you're not overwhelmed with the things around you that's seeking to destroy you? Psalm, Psalm 37 speaks about security for those who trust the Lord, and it makes a contrast with the insecurity of those who are wicked. David wrote this psalm. So I like this. It's, it's kind of lengthy. It's 39 verses or so, but I'm going to read the whole thing, and I'm going to highlight two verses. Ready? Do not fret because of evildoers. Do not be envious toward wrongdoers, for they will wither quickly like the grass and fade like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. 
Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Watch verse 5. You ready? Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him, and he will do it. I love that phrase. He will do it. Watch. He will bring forth your righteousness as a light and your judgment as the noonday. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who carries out wicked schemes. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret. It leads only to evildoing. For evildoers will be cut off. But those who wait for the Lord, they will inherit the land. Yet a little while, and the wicked man will be no more. And you will look carefully for his place, and he will not be there. But the humble will inherit the land and will delight themselves in abundant prosperity. The wicked plots against the righteous and gnashes at him with his teeth. The Lord laughs at him, for he sees his day is coming. The wicked have drawn the sword and bent their bow to cast down the afflicted and the needy, to slay those who are upright in conduct. Their sword will enter their own heart, and their bows will be broken. Better is the little of the righteous than the abundance of many wicked. For the arms of the wicked will be broken, but the Lord sustains the righteous. The Lord knows the days of the blameless, and their inheritance will be forever. And they will not be ashamed in the time of evil. And in the day of famine they will have abundance, but the wicked will perish, and the enemies of the Lord will be like the glory of the pastures, they vanish. Like smoke, they will vanish away. The wicked borrows and does not pay back, but the righteous is gracious and gives. For those blessed by him will inherit the land, but those cursed by him will be cut off. The steps of a man are established by the Lord, and he delights in his way. When he falls, he will not be hurled headlong. Watch this. I love this. Because the Lord is the one who holds his hand. You ever seen that before? Isn't that precious sounding? The Lord is the one who holds his hand. I have been young and now I am old, yet I, am not, I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his descendants begging bread. All day long he is gracious and lends and his descendants are a blessing. Depart from evil and do good so that you will abide forever. For the Lord loves justice and does not forsake his godly ones. They are preserved forever, but the descendants of the wicked will be cut off. The righteous will inherit the land and dwell in it forever. The mouth of the righteous utters wisdom. His tongue speaks justice. The law of his God is in his heart. His steps he, his steps he does do not slip. The wicked spy upon the righteous and seeks to kill him. The Lord will not leave him in his hands or let him be condemned when he is judged. Wait for the Lord and keep his way. He will exalt you to inherit the land. When the wicked are cut off, you will see it. I have seen the wicked, violent men, spreading himself like a luxuriant tree in the native soil. Then he passed away, and lo, he was no more. I sought for him, but I could not be, he could not be found. Mark the blameless man and uphold, behold the upright, for the man of peace will have prosperity. 
but the transgressors will be altogether destroyed. The prosperity of the wicked will be the posterity of the wicked will be cut off, but the salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their strength in time of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in him. This is a psalm worth looking at, isn't it? All the way through. Can you see the contrast? No doubt you're saying, oh, I'd rather be on the righteous side than on the wicked side. Because there is nothing positive said about the wicked. All the way through, the righteous one is doing one simple thing. Trusting. Trusting, trusting, trusting. That's why I like that verse. Because the Lord is the one who holds his hand. Sometimes when we walk through our Christian life, we say, you know, things are really tough, they're really hard. How do you get through? Scripture says it so often, and it's not just in that psalm. It's in Proverbs. It's all over the place. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him. Trust is built on what you know about him. The more you know him, the more you trust him. Do you know that? If you don't know somebody, how can you trust them? I've told you this story before, but it just comes to my mind every time. I was watching a bunch of little children playing basketball in an upward basketball league, if some of you know what that is. But all these little children are playing basketball, and one of them had this giant lollipop hanging out of her mouth. Well, of course, she said, oh, you can't, you can't play basketball with that lollipop hanging out of your mouth. Uh, go put it over there on the, on the, on the bleachers. And when it's over, you can go back and get it. I'm sitting there. This little girl walks up with her lollipop to put it, and she looks up at me. Then she takes it back, and she moves to another place. <laughs> I don't know what that meant exactly, but she didn't trust me, did she? She didn't know me. I wasn't interested. But she didn't ask either. And that's how we are so many times. We don't trust the Lord fully because we don't know him well. That's what we're called to do. Know him. Know him. Know him. Grow in your knowledge of him. The more you know, the more you trust. Who holds your hand? That's what the psalmist was saying. I can walk through this world because I know who holds my hand. Can I trust his word? I trust him. Do I? It says he will do it. Do I trust that? I love the story of Balaam. You remember Balaam, the donkey, and the whole thing. Uh, Balaam uh, was hired by Balak, king of Moab. And he wanted Balaam to come as an influential religious prophet type of guy. And he says, I want you to come over here, and I want you to curse God's people, Israel, so that I could defeat them in battle. They're too big for me. I can't do it by myself. So if you come, Balaam, and you curse them, then they're cursed and I could win this battle. Very interesting story how that works out. But Balaam went up onto the mountain because he told Balak, this is what we need to do. Get up on a mountain where I could see them all down there and set up an altar and go through all these uh, rituals here. And he did all that. And he says, okay, now I'm going to curse them. And he gets up there and he tried. But what came out of his mouth was not a curse. The Lord took control of that tongue very much like he took the control of a donkey's tongue previously, and he made Balaam speak 
a blessing to Israel instead of a curse. Balak was mad. And Balaam says, okay, okay. Well, that was the first attempt. It's the wrong mountainside. Let's move to this side. And they moved around. They did this a couple, three times. They kept trying to do that. But every single time Balaam stepped forward to curse them, God made him speak significant things about the character of the Lord. Very interesting, the words that came from his mouth. But here's one of them. In Numbers 23, 19, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. He has said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken that he will not make it good? One simple statement. God is true to his word. If he promised Israel that he would bless them, remember he did that to Abraham? If he promised that blessing, how can anybody turn the table on that and make it a curse? God has said it. Will he keep his word? That's the big question. And I wonder, can we hear that? As we go into our passage, you say, but Pastor Bob, you haven't even dealt with the verse quite yet. I'm setting you up for something very important here. The point is, if God speaks it, is it true? Yes. You ready? Now let's go to verse 13. You were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. Don't look at that like a question. Don't look at it like, like it's a maybe or that you're partially there. It has been completed. I can rest in that, folks. <laughs> I can stop my fret right there. Say, oh, what a delightful word to hear. You were sealed. And notice how he describes the rest of this. He gives the Holy Spirit a name. A name I know he's very glad to wear. The Holy Spirit of promise. Promise. Ep. Angelia is the word in the Greek. Uh, ep is upon, like sitting on top of something. You're upon it. And angelia is the message. Upon the message. This whole chapter is God's message. From verse 3 to verse 14. And all of God's word is his message. And if you can picture it, I picture it in a little bit like this. The Holy Spirit sits upon this and says, it's true, it's true, it's true, it's true. He's the Holy Spirit of promise. He is, if you will say it this way, and I, I just say it this way. But uh, what we would say is, I'm so sure of this, I'll bet my life on it. What he says is even more than that because he anchors the promise to his existence. He is the Holy Spirit of promise. He's not just talking about promises. He is that which is the promise. It's about his reputation. It's about his character. It's about his honesty. It's about his ability. There's no stronger guarantee than what God guarantees. He said it, he will do it. So what do you see he has done? Verse 13, something he's already done for you, it's already finished, he sealed you. 
That's to certify something. Now, it actually comes out in five different ways. You ready? I'm going to give you five different ways this sealing has been done for you. But I want to start with this. Before I say number one, this is how it happens. This is what we call an indicative verb, so that means it's reality. This is done, it's reality. It's in the past tense, so it's already done, it's completed. That means you're not adding to it, you're not trying to find it, you're not adding, you're not making it happen. He's already done this, and he did it for you. So what is it he did? He sealed you. First of all, to provide with the seal is a security measure. It's to secure something by fashioning it, by fastening it with a seal, like on a stone, to prevent it from being moved from its position. Do we know any story like that? What did they do with the stone that rolled in front of the grave of Christ? They sealed it so that nobody would move that stone. That's a seal. It means to close up something tight, to seal up something so nothing gets in and nothing gets out. Kind of like Tupperware, right? You like that sound, that, <coughs> that click when you know it's on there, right? That's another part of the sealing. In your relationship, in your identity in Christ, it has been sealed tight. Nothing will change that. Did you hear it? You can't mess that up. That's what he's done. That's how he's done. Number three, it's to mark the seal as a means of identification. To show ownership. To show that this is protected by the owner. Their name is on it. Guess whose name is on your life and your identity? The Holy Spirit of promise. He says, I guarantee you belong to Christ. You like that? Oh, I do. Number four, it's to certify something. That is to attest to it, to say it's true. Like signing your name on a document. is to say, I, with my own word, promise this is true. Who signed that? The Holy Spirit signed what God has done in your life, he signed it, said it's true, it's certified. And here's the last one that goes with it. When you seal something for delivery, it is in safekeeping until it arrives. It'd be nice if that worked with UPS and USPS and all these others. You ever get one of those packages that looked like they used it to hold the tire while they're changing another? Or one that looks like they ran it through a shredder first, then put it in a bag and said, oops. And you get those? I've seen those too. How do you like the fact that this promise, the sealing of the Holy Spirit, is guaranteeing that you're going to arrive just like he said? Well, I think these are good words. This is, this is what he's done in your life. It's not just one aspect. It's many aspects. It's so full. He's bigger than we are. To be sealed is your security. It's your protection. It's your identity. It's your certification. It's your promise of safe delivery to the end. When God states that he has chosen you, he seals that with the Holy Spirit of promise. 
When God states that he has made you his children by adoption, he has sealed that with the Holy Spirit of promise. When God said that he has made you holy, he has sealed that with the Holy Spirit of promise. When God said he had made you blameless, he has sealed that with the Holy Spirit of promise. When he said he redeemed you, do you like the guarantees on this? He has sealed it with the Holy Spirit of promise. It goes on and on. I love this one. Did God say he forgave you? Yes. And that's because you're so good. It's because he sealed that with the Holy Spirit of promise. Oh my, I love these. The inheritance. Oh, the list just goes on all the way through this. This is another way of God saying this. I want you to understand. I said it and I mean it. I said it and I mean it. When I talk about the security of the believer, I don't say it because I, I just rest on some theological position I have, though I, I confess I do. I do not say all that because I have some sort of uh, good grasp on the promises of God. The fact is, the promises of God has a good grasp on me. That's the difference. When I talk about the promises of God and all these things, it isn't about me. It's about the God who gave me his word. He gave it to me and he gives it to you. You can finish this. I know you've seen it before waiting in at some street light or something like that, the car in front of you. God said it, I believe it. That settles it. That settles it. Are we there? Are we settled like the guy in the psalm who says, I'm going to commit to you, Lord. I'm going to trust you because you said it, you will do it. You've got me by the hand. The Holy Spirit lives inside of me. Folks, how is this not going to work? When you think it all through, in him, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed. Do you believe it? That's what it says. You were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. I think that will work on a Monday. I think this is what we needed to hear. Because with all these promises and all these identity things we've been studying here, it's good to know it's God's word. It's his promise. I can rest in that, can't you? That's important. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. So rich, so full, so magnificent. You know us. You know how weak we are. You know how, how we bounce all over the place with our thinking, with our, our days, our emotions, the experiences of this life. We struggle, we, we climb, we struggle scratch and claw our way into things. To, we try to make things better. We work, work hard. We get hit by unexpected things. You know our lives, Lord. You know that we are but dust. And yet you love us. And you have made promises to us far beyond our ability to even comprehend. But we couldn't hold this to be true. 
You can, though, and you did. And that's why today we say, thank you, Lord. Thank you for what you have done to make us your children, to give us an identity we don't deserve, that to you would even go so far as to secure it, that it does not change. Thank you. Thank you for being so merciful to us, being so kind to us. Lord, if there's anyone here today who doesn't know Jesus as their Savior, may they see their need of him right now. How do you live in a world like this? How do we live any life without Christ? He is our all. And I pray, Lord, that if somebody today doesn't know him, you will reveal through that great Holy Spirit their need of a Savior. And Lord, if we're the ones you want us to talk about him, please draw us to that point where we talk. Thank you, Lord, for what you have done. You have made us glad, and we rejoice in it today. In Jesus' name, amen.